He's got a beautiful backswing. That's, oh, he got all of that one. Oh my gosh. That is amazing. Lay up with an iron into the hazard. Well, that wasn't quite what I meant, you know. What's up, everybody? Welcome into another edition of the 73rd Hole, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Colby Powell, Taylor Williams, Sam Humphreys with you as always. Glad to be back this week, fellas. Went and hit the slopes last week. Not a lot of snow left in March, but we had a good time. Where did you go? I uh, just popped out to Red River for a okay. couple days. So You told us before we le- or before you left... And we were trying to decide where you went, and we couldn't come up with it. We, we just the, both shows. We just said Kobe skiing, Lord knows where. We're not sure. Yeah. So Red River, New Mexico, is where I went. Had a good time. Uh, listened to y'all on the way back. Have some good stuff. I can't remember who y'all picked in the one and done though. Who who y'all have? Leishman. Oh, Willie he Z. DF, he made Ooh. the cut, but finished DFL. Uh, Willie Z was like 38th, maybe, I think? He was ninth going into the last round. Okay. Shot 78, I believe. Didn't he shoot 44 on the front in the last round? Yes, he did. It was a uh, very, very ugly 44. <laughs> there's not there's not very many ways to make a 44 pretty, but this one was not pretty. So, the Arnold Palmer was brutal, brutal, brutal on a Sunday, and we'll get into just kind of the way the course played. But first off, fellas, the number 71 – does that mean anything to you? Any significance for the number 71? 71 is the number of starts that it took Scotty Scheffler to get his first PGA Tour win. Two is the number of starts <laughs> it took Scotty Scheffler to get his second PGA Tour win. One of the most cliche sayings in golf is when it takes a guy a long time to win his first tournament, and, and then you go, well, the floodgates are going to open now. But sometimes it's true. And with Scotty Scheffler, it just might be true because this dude's officially a big game hunter. Phoenix and... API, two of the three strongest fields on the PGA Tour so far this season, and he's got wins at both places. It's pretty amazing what he's done. I think that he gained a bunch of confidence from how he played in the Ryder Cup. I think that that's kind of where his breaking out party to not just the golf nerds, but kind of the you know at-home golf fan that casually watches. They know who Scotty Scheffler is now. They knew who he was even before he won in Phoenix just because of the Ryder Cup to me, and I think he gained a bunch of confidence from that. It was really impressive to me to see how great Scotty Scheffler putted this week because for a high ball hitter to win in those conditions, you got to roll the rock, and Scotty Scheffler rolled the rock this week on a course that was basically a U.S. Open. Well, you know, to your point, Sam, you know, since the Ryder Cup, I mean, you look at it, you know, he, it took him a while to get that first win. We talked about it at Phoenix, but then he also finished second at the Hero back in the fall. He finished second at the Houston Open, finished fourth down in Mayakoba where Hovland won that. So, I mean, just goes to your point that it was, he got all that confidence and it just started brewing and he just kind of rode the momentum of the avalanche. And then all of a sudden, you know, you talk about that his game's gotten a lot better. Well, you know what also has increased a lot the last three terms? His bank account. I mean, $2.2 million or whatever it was yesterday. I mean, he's going to find some way to spend that pretty good, I think. Yeah, and and – just to kind of expand on that, uh, on what I was talking about, about Scotty Scheffler's putting, he gained two shots in round four, strokes gained putting. The two guys I was rooting for, Victor Hovland, obvi- for obvious reasons, against the, Colby. The one guy I was rooting against. <laughs> I, I was telling Sam and Taylor before we came on, it's the worst bet I've ever made because now it legitimately has me rooting against Victor Hovland, one of my favorite Oklahoma State Cowboys of all time. <laughs> legitimately rooting against him and rooting for a Longhorn. It's... 
It's turned my whole world upside down. Well, Victor, uh, good news for you. He lost two shots on the greens. So Scotty Scheffler gained four shots on the greens on Victor Hovland yesterday. Wow. Uh, and on Taylor Gooch, uh, he even more. He he lost 2.12 shots on the greens. Well, so he lost a little worse. Than I, I think he lost like 1.2 shots on the, on the green on, what was it, five? Yes. Was it five whenever yep. he had the four putt, three putter from three feet? Did y'all see him joking about it on Twitter? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. You got to blame a spike mark. You got to blame a spike mark if you miss a putt that short. <laughs> and then somebody on Twitter asked Gooch, he said, Well, what are you blaming on the top? Because he topped one out of the fairway bunker on six, I think it was. <laughs> and uh, Gooch replied and said, I got distracted thinking how I was going to spend the big fat check. <laughs> <laughs> so he's being a good sport about it anyway. But I mean, Bay Hill was playing tough. Rory talked about after the tournament that, you know, it wasn't rewarding good shots that he doesn't mind it being penal for, for bad shots, for missed shots, but that he felt like good shots weren't being rewarded. Taylor, I, I know you watched a lot of it over the weekend, Saturday and Sunday, when it got really tough on the weekend. Did you think it got out of control to where guys couldn't be rewarded for good shots? Well, I think that I saw a lot of things this week that you don't see very often. I saw more three-footers miss this week than I've seen maybe all year combined. So Proves how hard it is to putt in the wind. And then, so you get to that point, right, and you say, well, at what point is it unfair, right? At what point can you – and not only are they missing three-footers, they're not even hitting the hole. Like, they're not even coming close, and they're going six feet by. So, I, I, I'm not out there playing, so I don't know how particularly unfair it is, but – you know, some going on to Rory's points, you look at someone like Scheffler, and he did exactly what you have to do in a course like this to win. He got up and down on eight when he had the layup in front of the water. Mm-hmm. He got up and down on 15, one of the best up and ends ever. He did get pretty lucky on that third shot, but nevertheless still was he, able to He did, on. but the putt was cash. Oh, uh, yeah, 22-footer or whatever it was. Then got up and down for uh, par on 16. And then probably my favorite shot of the whole tournament was the uh, 70-foot lag putt on 18 or 69 feet, however far it was. 69 I mean, feet for the win. I mean, to literally nice. three inches or whatever. And then you look at Hovland, who lost by one shot somehow. I don't even know how it's possible when you look at it. Three putts, 13. Obviously, he's in the middle of the fairway on 15, uh, 158 yards. It makes bogey. And then makes a pretty bad bogey on 17. Then on 18, guys, he had what? what was that 20-something feet or whatever it was? 17 feet? Yeah. The tie and left it two feet short. I know he had the kind of fringe behind his ball. It, it this- was uphill into the wind, and I just I, I think maybe he just didn't factor that in enough. I mean, you could tell coming off the putter face on 18 – that it didn't have enough steam on it to get to the hole. The question I would want to ask Rory is, were his four-footers unfair that he kept missing left, that he kept pulling every single short putt that I saw? Rory McIlroy, every clutch putt that he had to make, pulled it left this week. I mean, he lost, let's see, he lost, uh, let's see, minus .26 on the week, but in round four, he lost over two shots putting. That makes sense, yeah. I mean, I don't understand where he comes up with this stuff sometimes. It seems like he's the ultimate excuse maker to me. And I think that's probably why we don't see Rory McIlroy win quite as much as we do. He has one bad round, and then he starts overthinking it. I I know we saw Brandel Chambly and Mark Rolfing kind of get into it on whether he was overthinking his putting or not, or whether he needed to think more, as Brandel said, or kind of just aim and shoot, like Mark Rolfing was saying. And and Rory was kind of just overthinking his putting, to me, a little bit. And then he comes out afterwards and says, no, it wasn't rewarding good shots. It wasn't fair. Well, let's look at the top 10. You had Scotty Scheffler, Terrell Hatton, Victor Hovland. And then you go down the list all the way down to like guys like Gooch, Burns, Fitzpatrick. It was a who's who of the best ball strikers on tour right now. So 
Clearly, it was going to turn into a putting contest. Who was the best putter out of the great ball strikers? And Rory McIlroy won one of them. And so I think that he has to look at himself and say, you know, it wasn't bad breaks. It was the fact that I couldn't get the ball in the hole and score as well as I should have. Well, if I can throw something in here, and I know y'all are the same way, some days we go to our home courses and they just play tougher than other days, and there's a pin in an unfair spot here or there, or you hit a good shot, and the greens don't have enough moisture in them that day, and it, and it trundles off the back. There's a hole. I play at the greens here in Oklahoma City. Third hole out there is a par five. I mean, there will be times they put that pin in the front right. You can have a seven iron into that par five, and you can land it 10 feet short of the flag on the green. Just flush it. And it'll hop over the back of the green into the water. I know because I've done it. It's... It's part of golf, and you have to understand the course conditions, and you have to play to the course conditions. The course conditions were very difficult at Bay Hill, but what I don't like is I think that there's an element of the golf community that complains about the Century and complains about the American Express and complain about the Honda and the Arnold Palmer. It's, you know, you complain when it's too easy, you complain when it's too hard. If you're complaining when it's too easy and when it's too hard, there's only about five tournaments a year that you're really going to be happy that week as to what you got to see. For me, I'm like, look, the Century and the Amex, I know what those tournaments are. They're birdie fests. I enjoy watching the birdie fest in moderation because you know what's coming a few weeks later? Honda and API are coming a few weeks later. And then we'll have the players, which is kind of a crapshoot. And then we always know what we're going to get at Augusta. It's the variety of of different styles of tournaments that we get on the PGA Tour that I think make each one fun and unique. Well, you know, going back to the comments in particular, it's funny you listen to Rory afterwards. We just talked about that. But you listen to Scheffler after in his interview, and he said literally the exact opposite. He said you were getting rewarded for good shots out there. So it's kind of funny when you win, you kind of think differently as opposed (laughs) to when you finish 13th. And I'll say this too about Rory's strategy. He was talking about how he said something along the lines of, you know, it's so hard to hit the – to hit the green from the fairway anyway, you might as well hit it as far as you can and try to get it down there. And I think that's just bad strategy. Like, I understand it's hard to hit the green from the fairway, but it's almost impossible to hit it from the rough. Well, I will say this week, though, Scotty Scheffler actually lost strokes off the tee really? and gained two shots strokes gained approach. Now, if we look at Rory McIlroy, he actually gained a full shot on the field off the tee. So it's still the same old thing with Rory McIlroy. It's the short irons and the putting. And so, to me, off the tee, Rory McIlroy, he's fine. He's fine. He, he gained a full shot on the guy who won the tournament off the tee. And so, to me, I think that, you know, Rory just has to take a look in the mirror and stop overthinking things. It's the same thing we've been talking about with Rory for 10 years. And a guy like Scotty Scheffler, by the way, that's amazing to lose shots off the tee for the tournament and go out there and gain two shots, strokes gained approach, well, and, and blow away the field, strokes gained approach after losing shots off the tee. It's pretty amazing. And he just, like we talked about with him laying up in the right spot, just played a lot smarter too. But think about this for Rory. Starts the tournament at seven under. He finishes at one over. I don't care how hard the course gets. Rory should not have played eight over the last three rounds. The course did not get yeah. that much harder. He was 76-76 on the weekend. Yeah, and so it's you look at some of the other players up there, you know, just rattling off some scores here. Like guy uh, Scheffler won 68-72. Then you've got uh, Hatton who went 60, who went 76, or I'm sorry, 78-69. But at least you, you throw one good round in there. Uh, even 75-74 for what Hovland did. I mean, I think Rory would have killed for that. So, you know, there's just so much that goes into this. And I think that 
sort of like you're saying, Colby, you can't have it both ways. And But I will say this, though. I do think that Rory is right about the comment of if they keep playing the Arnold Palmer the week before the players, the field's going to get worse and worse every year if they don't change yeah. the course setup. Because, I, just because of the calendar. I do want to ask you guys a question about Scotty while we're on the subject. To me, he seems like one of the more intimidating players to go up against on the PGA Tour. Not only is he clutch, but he just has that killer size. Killer he's, a mentality. he's a big dude, but he also kind of has that cool, calm, and collected mentality. Like it seems like nothing really bothers him. Like if I was playing a match play match against Scotty Scheffler, God forbid that I was ever put in that situation. <laughs> How many pops am I getting? I would be nervous though. Like say I don't care who you are. If it's Victor Hovland playing him in the Ryder Cup, I mean. Scotty Scheffler is a stone-cold killer, and I don't know if there's any more intimidating player on the PGA Tour, maybe John Rahm right now, than Scotty Scheffler. I wouldn't say John Rahm right now. Scotty Scheffler's won more times in the last month than I'm just John Rahm about- has in the last 18. I, I don't know. I just... And again, this might just come down to our, our disagreements about Rahm, because I hold it against him that he's not able to win, probably more than some others do. I would love to see Scotty coming down the stretch in just an absolute duel with like Abraham Answer or Brian Harmon. Just like one of the little guys on little tour. Little OU Texas matchup? Little OU Texas matchup. Abraham Answer walking <laughs> at Scotty Scheffler's ribs, coming out trying to beat him, coming down the stretch. I think it would be awesome. But I mean, good for Scotty, honestly, because for a while he was kind of making his way into the the Finau realm, mm-hmm. where it's like, well, maybe this guy's going to be a really good player for a long time, but he just doesn't have that killer instinct on Sunday afternoon to go win the golf tournament. And, I mean, it seems like he found it. And, it, it, Taylor, you mentioned the lag putt on 18. I mean, lag putt on 17. He, yep. had, he had 45 feet on 17, lags it inside six inches. 69 feet on 18, lags it inside six inches. It's as good as it gets. Well, I mean, T-Dub, tell me if you agree with me or not. But I thought where the whole tournament changed was when Scheffler made par on 15 and Hovland ended, ended up making bogey, the old Mongolian reversal. I mean, that's where it changed to me. When did it change to you? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, I completely agree. That's kind of when you knew that, that something was going to happen for Scheffler to really not win because he had it all rolling. Because whenever you try to hit that big old sweeping hook from the left rough around the trees like he did, and you literally hit it like 10 yards, it's <laughs> it's so easy to make double or triple after you do that. And he comes back and makes par. <laughs> Makes the long putt. And, and granted, you know, I mean, if the ball t- bounces right instead of left when it lands, he might have made double. But you know what? Those are the breaks that you need to win tournaments, and he capitalized on it. And I, I've said this for the last how many ever weeks, and I'll say it again. I just don't like when people go out there on Sundays and they don't feel like that they win the tournament. And I, I feel like Scheffler went out and won this tournament. It, it's I just agree. It's just in a different way than what you see a lot. Like last week's draw a birdie def- three of the last five holes. You, you don't have to do that when it's playing this you hard. You definitely had guys that were semi-choking. I'm, I'm not going to go all the way to my famous sneaky choke, right? But there, it was semi-choking because it was so windy, right? Yes, it just well, proves how conditions can change these guys' games. And to me, I, I thought it was the most entertaining tournament we've watched so far this year. But on the other hand, it wasn't like I felt like guys were choking necessarily. I thought that it was playing hard, and then Scotty Scheffler was just doing the things he needed to do to win the golf tournament. Well, I'll say, so a lot of times we, and I mean us in the golf community, golf fans, people on golf Twitter, we make fun of the professionals whenever the wind blows 15 miles an hour and they throw a fit. Because 15 miles an hour... I mean, we're, we're from Oklahoma. That's not a big wind. I'll say this. A 15-mile-an-hour wind on Bermuda greens rolling 13 and a half is a heavy 
wind. That's 15 mile an hour wind on 13 and a half Bermuda. That's a lot different than a 20 mile an hour wind on greens rolling a nine at bent. Not it's, even it's, to mention the rough. I mean, they didn't cut it all week. Correct. It, they capped it off on, on Tuesday morning. They clipped it off at four inches right. on Tuesday morning. And also we got to mention Scotty hit a good shot on 18 from the left rough, drew a, a good lie in the left rough as good as you can get in that rough. But still, he was one of only six players, I think, to hit the green from the left rough. He took his medicine, did what he needed to do, accepted the fact that he was going to be 70 feet away from the hole and was going to have to hit a good lag putt, and that's what he did. Thank God Gary Woodland didn't win the tournament, by the way, because he got so fortunate when he hit it way right and hit it on the uh, you know dormant Bermuda grass over there right of the heavy rough. That next and shot had was a saucy, shot. though. It was, a, it was a saucy shot, but he wouldn't have had a chance if he was five feet to the left. I love me some Gare Bear, though. I was rooting for Gare I, Bear. No, I like him. I just thought that that would have been a terrible way to end the tournament. Fair enough. That, that Fair bunker enough. shot he on 17 was bad. That, oh, my God. Yeah. You want to talk about sneaky choke. That was a D-cell if I've ever seen one. That was, I mean, that was like a 12 handicap hitting that bunker. <laughs> it, it was. Uh, I, I think, think Gary it, would tell you the same thing. Yeah. A, absolute just non-committed at all to it. And, you know, going back to the course setup, I think it's, I think the course setup is probably equivalent to facing like a, a pitcher that throws at 100 miles an hour. Because don't they say that like, like from going 99 miles an hour to 100 miles an hour is like so much different, right? Isn't it our boy Jim Traber here in Oklahoma City that says once you get over like 95, every additional mile per hour is like an additional five miles per hour is what it feels like in the batter's box? Right. And, and that's that's kind of what I'm saying, you know, because you talk about 15 mile an hour wind. 12 mile an hour wind is going to be a lot different than 15 mile an hour wind. And yeah, then yeah. when it gusts up to 18, it's going to make the course that much different. And, you know, we talk about the course setup too and what they'll do going forward. I think if it was dead calm this week, it still would have been fairly tough, but it wouldn't have been near as tough as it was. So I think, I, I think the winner would have been 12 under if it was dead calm. So I, I think that going forward, if they are, because Florida, it can be really perfect or it could be super windy. They just have to be more adaptive when it comes to course setup because they want to make the course hard as it was. I saw, I think it was on Golf Channel, I saw this, where it's like the final round has played the like the, the three hardest rounds ever at Bay Hill where have all been the last three years. It's interesting. Yeah, I believe it's that. just kind of luck of the draw, though, right? Just two years ago, the wind kicked up, and it turned into the, the, the Tyrrell Hatton U.S. Open whenever he won it that year at four under. You mentioned sure. Gary Woodland's bunker shot. I also wanted to mention Hovland out of the bunkers this week. He was three out of 13 out of the bunkers getting it up and, and down. And lost by one. Not great, and lost Bob. by one. You know where that ranked him out of the 77 players that made the cut? 73rd. Wow. Yeah. And then he, after the round, he said, yeah, I mean, you just don't hit it in the bunkers. I know they're there. I, I, I hit a bad shot on 17. It was a bad time to hit a bad shot and catch a bad break. It was kind of a bad break for it to stay up there. But, I mean, he ballooned it 20 yards right of his line. It's You balloon it 20 yards right of your line with a 7-iron, you're, you're at the mercy of the golf gods at that point. One thing on Scotty Scheffler I want to bring up real quick. What's different about Scotty Scheffler compared to last year? Ted Scott. Okay? Now, Ted Scott, how much, you know – credit do you give him being on the bag for Scotty Scheffler this year? I think that, you know, whenever you do a caddy switch like that, it can be – it can change everything, I think, because all of a sudden, like, we talk about how many strokes does a caddy save you around, and it's like if they save you a quarter of a stroke around, it's worth it because yeah. that's one stroke at the end of the tournament. And that's the difference between Scheffler. Like he talked about, he said finishing second just feels horrible because you feel like you're – didn't say a failure, but it said you work so hard to win, and then you don't do it, so it hurts that much. And I think that every single stroke matters so much on PJ Tour that if you get in a situation like like we saw it yesterday, right? If there was one more time that Scheffler tried to pull off a hero shot instead of laying up, he probably wouldn't have won. Mm-hmm. And that's the difference between two point two million and seven hundred k or whatever the next place got. 
Yeah, the next was because uh, there was a tie. I think it was nine hundred or something. Like it was nine hundred and eight thousand, and that went to three different guys: Tyrrell Hatton, Billy Horschel, and Victor Hovland, then Chris Kirk and Gary Woodland, and then you drop down everybody who finished uh, in. So the T twenties are where the six figure cutoff went. So twenty five players collected at least a six figure check this week. Uh, DFL at the API. If you make the cut, finish DFL. That was Ches Reevy. Somehow it wasn't Troy Merritt who shot a or birdie. Mark Leishman. Who shot a birdie free eighty seven <laughs> yesterday. You heard me right. A birdie free eighty seven yesterday for Troy Merritt. But Ches Reevy finishes DFL of the guys who made the cut. Twenty two thousand nine hundred and twenty dollars for Ches Reevy for I, his uh, troubles this week at the API. Before we get off the API, I do want to give a shout out to our guy T G because he showed some major heart yesterday after that front nine. To come back and play as well as he did on that back nine. And, you know, I, I know he just wasn't hitting it well and he wasn't putting well yesterday. He wasn't really doing anything as well as he is able to do. But he showed me something by the way he came back and didn't give up. Two under in the back nine. I don't know anyone who shot much better than that on no. that nine. And, and that's what got him the top ten. Got him a T7. Especially whenever. towards the end of the day, too. When yeah, those conditions free were toughest. on that back nine. Yeah. And everyone was playing worse on the back nine. Yeah, it's just he, he just couldn't put the two nines together yesterday. Had a rough front, uh, but had a good back. I want to remind everybody, go see our good friends at Ring Family Dentistry. They will get you taken care of. They go out of their way to ensure all treatment is as comfortable as possible. Both Dr. Phillip and Brendan Ring have a simple philosophy. Work with what you have, save what you can, and replace what you can't. Some dentists can overtreat. It is their philosophy that patients in their office should only have done what they absolutely need. If they can't show why treatment is needed, they will not prescribe it. They explain their opinion, answer any questions, and ultimately leave all decisions to the patient. Ring Family Dentistry. Check them out. Guys, we buried the lead. Did we? Of the Arnold Palmer Invitational. Did we? The lead story of the API should have been our man, Matt Jones. Oh! Matt Jones. Matt Jones. Matt Jones. With the putter throw of the year. Of the maybe the best one I've ever seen. I was going to say of the year. How many better putter throws have we seen than this one? I, I mean, can't was, think of one. I can think back in the day, Charlie Hoffman was somewhere. And Charlie Hoffman casually tossed a putter in the water. Um, <laughs> but most of, the, most of the epic club throws into, into water I can think of are with irons. Rory McIlroy at Doral, slinging it out in the middle of the pond. John Daly at Whistling Straight, slinging it out into the Lake Michigan or whatever. A putter at a billion miles an hour? It doesn't get a lot. I mean, club head speed was in the 120s on that putter throw. You tweeted about it. It was the fastest rage I've ever seen. He even rages fast, like you said on Twitter, Colby. It was the funniest thing ever. He taps it in one-handed instantly, instantly. Just launches this thing. I wish we could have had a shot tracer on it. It had to gone like 70 yards. Can, can I say shame on the cameraman for just a second? Shame on the cameraman for sticking with Matt Jones and not following the putter. We, you, <laughs> you follow the ball. When the club goes, you follow the club. We needed a wide shot. We needed the cameraman to follow the putter. We needed some evidence of where this putter wound up because all we got was the ripples coming off the lake. What, what round did that? Was that the second or third round? That I that think happened? it was the third round. It was the third round. I was watching it live when it happened. I go, oh, my gosh. I have to tweet this out right now because I've had enough. So I was trying to look at the uh, old putting analytics here to see. So in the third round, Matt Jones lost 1.67 putting. So I would assume that – I don't know. What did he putt with after he threw it in the Who? pond? I'm always – Matt down, oh, Matt down, oh, Matt down. 
I'm always fascinated what a player who breaks or throws the putter in what they do afterwards. They use the sandwich, they use the hybrid, they do the old five iron. What do they use? I'm not sure. But you look back on it too in the second round, Matt Jones <laughs> lost uh, 1.19 putting. Let's see what he did in the first round here. Just because the reason I say it, he lost 0. .91. So my theory here is that Matt Jones knew what he was going to do before that putt missed the hole. It, it, like he, he, like you don't throw a putter that fast without knowing what you're doing. Beat it to the hole, by the way. By the way, it was one of the worst putts you'll ever see. <laughs> I mean, he hit it, and as soon as he made contact, maybe as he was making contact, he started walking around the other side of the hole to go tap it in. It was uh, pretty good stuff. When we tweeted out the video, it kind of went viral a little bit. I just want to say one thing to some people: stop taking things so serious. Like were half, people mad at him? A couple people were like, "You disrespected oh. Arnold Palmer and all this okay. stuff." I was like, "Oh what? my gosh, come okay. on!" Guy got most mad people. His most people were cracking up about it, making jokes. You know, the Happy Gilmore obvious like low hanging fruit joke. I mean, don't get me wrong. The first time Layla throws a, a putter in the water, there's going to be hell to pay. But <laughs> yeah. it's, it's he's a professional. It'll be all right. Also, can I, I want to say this too about the old um, Peter Jacobson on the on the broadcast? They were showing Adam Scott on Friday. And he had the biggest driver I've ever seen in my life, and they kept saying he was hitting a two-wood. Well, because on Thursday, he was. But can you not tell that it's a damn driver? <laughs> Notre Begay did the same thing about Hovland when he hit the three-wood. I can't remember on what hole it was on. He hit a three-wood, and he's like, man, he's just been piping the driver this week. And then they're like, well, I think that was a three-wood there, Noda. <laughs> by, by the way, uh, just go ahead. Just, I was going to say, how, how hard is it to go look into some... It's in Roger Malpe over there, look in the back and say, oh, there's a driver I there. wish we oh, could just... Rog. Rog is the man. Rog is the man. I wish we could just clone clone Bones. That's kind of a nice little saying there. I wish we could clone Bones and have him cover every single group because he's the best. Does but, Bones take a week off? I, I was just fixing to say, <laughs> Bones caddies for JT. If JT doesn't play that week, Bones just calls up NBC. Guys, I'm free. Yeah. All right. See it, see it in Orlando. Yep. I, I mean, Bones is the hardest working guy in the business. Uh, but Matt Jones, I also saw on who? Matt Jones. Matt Jones. On Tuesday, somebody tweeted out a picture of Matt Jones on the putting green, and boys, I mean, sometimes you know when a guy's like using an aid <laughs> to just kind of help him go through a drill, and sometimes you know when a guy has all of the aids on the putting green to try to find something. Matt Jones had. I mean, he had like four sticks on the ground. He had this little spherical thing. He had like a mirror. He had, I mean, he had so many gadgets <laughs> laying there on the putting green. If I would have seen that, and I didn't actually roster him this, this week anywhere, but if you see that, I mean, run away from that guy in your DK pools because... <laughs> or, to, or if you're to the left of him while he's putting, you got to run. <laughs> it you was, might die. There was so much stuff on the ground. I mean, is Shambly going to come out and say Matt Jones needs to focus harder on his putting? <laughs> think more about it. He needs to think more. Think, think more about it. He needs to think more. Let's do this. Let's think I, more. Hold on, real but, quick. Have you ever seen a two-handed club throw? They're very rare. It's pretty rare, yeah. I can't think of one. It's That's why it was so powerful. It was just the most... Pure club throw I've ever seen. He dropped it right in the slot. <laughs> Launch this thing. Well, because most of the time when you use two hands, you throw it like into the ground, right? Right. Like you do like a, the yeah. tomahawk. Yeah. You don't really. That been bad. You don't under. You don't underarm and throw it eight hundred <laughs> yards or however far it was. The uh, y'all ever play with anybody who threw one in the water? Yes. Have you ever thrown one in the water? Yes. Okay. I've never thrown one in the water. I was playing with a buddy one time. We're at Cimarron Trails in Perkins. It was like our senior year of college, and. <laughs> 
I think it was maybe his wedge. And, I mean, we're just all average guys. Like, we don't have access to more golf clubs. <laughs> if we break these, we, we're down a club for a while. And he takes his wedge, and he gets mad, and he goes to throw it to the cart, <laughs> right? But the ninth green at Cimarron Trails has water all around it, so he goes to throw it to the cart. He holds on to it too long because it's going to be like a 50-yard throw. He holds on to it too long, hooks it <laughs> in the water, <laughs> in the pond, off the back of number nine at Cimarron Trails. So then... Takes his shoes off, takes his oh, socks no. off, takes his shorts off, wades out there with another club, digging around in the pond, <laughs> finds his wedge. No way. Takes him like 10 minutes. We let a group play through, finds his wedge <laughs> in the pond, gets his wedge out, dries off. We make the turn, head to the back nine. I feel like that's pretty relatable. So how long, yeah. how long did he look for his club for? Oh, it probably wasn't 10 minutes. It probably felt like 10 minutes standing there. It was probably more like... Three to five minutes, that's something pretty, like that. That's pretty fast. Yeah, that is. I mean, we were all standing there, like, at the green, so we could tell where it landed, and obviously it's going to sink straight down. But, yeah, it was it was just so funny because we all totally knew he didn't mean to throw it in the water. The way he was standing, he meant to throw it at the cart, and he just hooked it. He just held on to it too long <laughs> and hooked it in the water. No, you know you're just having a bad day. <laughs> How deep was the pond? Um... He was able to get probably 15 or 20 feet out in the water, and it was only coming up to his, like, thighs. So it wasn't oh, it wasn't a real deep pond. No, it wasn't too bad at all. The best he was, was when you gotta get like the snorkeling equipment out, you know, and then go all the way to the bottom because it's like thirty feet deep. And, and and I'll shout him out by name, Taylor. You met him a long time ago. His name's DJ. And uh he was the guy who always you would play with him. He was so funny. He, if he listens to this, he's gonna be mad at me for, for talking about it. <laughs> he, he's the guy who would have like just twelve footers all day. And he'd be missing. I mean, he was a, a 10 or 15 handicap, he'd be missing these 12 footers by like four inches. And he'd be like, dude, I'm burning edges all day. I'm just burning edges. I can't get anything to drop. I'm just out here. Every single hole is just on the edge, hitting the lip. And I mean, he's missing the hole by like four or five inches on every putt. Every putt. Just out here burning edges. All right, let's take a break. Come back on the other side. We got some awesome action in Puerto Rico to get to. We'll talk a little Jin Young Co because she is doing some historic stuff. And we'll preview what we've got coming up on the show tomorrow. Going to be a lot of fun. Stay with us here on the 73rd Hole, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. When something the size of a golf ball hits your roof, you need to call McRae Roofing. McRae Roofing is Oklahoma's designer roofing service specialist. For years, Jeff McRae and the experienced team at McRae Roofing and Exteriors have served fellow Oklahomans by helping them with their roofing needs. McRae Roofing uses only top quality materials and professional crews to make sure that each job is done right so it will give you the years of service, security, and protection you need from the unpredictable Oklahoma weather. McRae Roofing offers residential and commercial roofing, ventilation services, and custom copper designs. McRae Roofing is dedicated to exceeding the homeowner's expectations. It's not just a roof, it is your home's crowning glory. Call McRae Roofing today at 405-692-4000. That's 405-692-4000. Make sure to also visit their website at mcrayroofing.com. That's M-C-R-A-Y roofing.com. Don't get caught with a leaking roof. Contact McRae Roofing for your free inspection today. We're 
We're back rolling along here on the 73rd hole, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Head over to golfoklahoma.org. That is golfoklahoma.org. That's where you can read everything happening in this state in the game of golf. Got some juniors playing at the DJ uh, Junior Worlds. We've got uh, a couple of cowgirls transferring out. We've got Chris Goddard going high at Puerto Rico. Well, going low, finishing high at Puerto Rico. A lot of stuff going on in the state. And, of course, we are now a mere... Uh, two months, two weeks roughly away from the PGA Championship at Southern Hills in Tulsa. Head over to golfoklahoma.org. Check it all out. And while you're on the internet, get on your Google machine and search Groove It Brush. Groove It Brush, our newest sponsor here on the 73rd Hall. Sam, you showed up with some Groove It Brushes for Taylor and I this morning. This thing is awesome. You fill it up with water when it's time to clean. It's magnets to your bag. Strong magnet, by the way. This thing is not going to fall <laughs> it's off. It's not playing around. No, this thing is not falling off while you're driving down the fairway if you hit a bump. You just pop it off the magnet, press a button at the end of it, water on your club, scrub it off, boom. Bingo, I mean, bango, bongo. These things are big time. I was out on the range showing Clay Covens, and he he has his little brush out there, and I'm like, hey, give me your club real quick. And I like squirted it. I felt like one of those guys on the golf channel. You felt like an infomercial yeah. guy. <laughs> Let me see that. Let me, Let see, me that. see that real quick. Beep, 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 beep. <laughs> that was this weekend. I forgot about that. Uh, anyways, hey, before we get off uh, the API, real quick, one last stat on Scotty Scheffler. He just moved into the top five in the uh, OWGR. This is the first time in OWGR history that each of the top five players in the world are under 30 years old. Wow. That How's surprises that for, me. How's that for fun facts? Tiger you would have thought it would have happened before. Tiger effect, yeah. Young guys. So it's uh, it's Rom, Morikawa, Hovland, Scotty, and... Cantlet. Can't, is Cantlay the other one in the top five? I think so. Yeah. I don't have it in front of me. I just had the stat yeah, in front Cantlay's, of me. Yeah, uh, because Scheffler, believe <laughs> yeah, it or not, is the it. third highest ranked American in the world. That's pretty crazy to think about. Yep. Well, yeah, he is. Yeah, it's in, in this order, it is Ron Morikawa, Hovland, Cantlay is four, Scheffler is five. And and just want to point out, those five have a pretty big lead over six, which is Rory. Uh, yeah, there's a significant drop-off. Uh, looks like about 1.1 points, which is a pretty big drop-off whenever you consider the gap from one to five is only about 1.4 points. So to round out the top ten goes Rory, Xander, JT, DJ, and Cameron Smith rounding out the top ten. Bryson now is down to 12. Spieth at 14. Some of the notables. Kepka down at 18. So uh, your boy Will Zalatoris, 30th. Taylor Goose, 32nd in the world now. So, uh, playing Sticking some good right golf. there. Yep. That's solid. Uh, he, by the way, he's officially clinched his spot in the Open Championship. They tweeted it out yep. yesterday. So, Taylor Gooch will be playing, I believe, for the first time across the pond in the Open. Speaking St. Andrews. St. Yeah, oh, nice, Andrews. Nice That's place to play your yeah, first a good Open. Year to do we'll it. have We're, to get him on to talk about that. Big time. Yep. Uh, speaking of Bryson, you mentioned Bryson. He yeah. is out of the players as of last night. Oh, what do we think about Bryson just continuing to delay the comeback? And he said he has something big coming up. So he, so he said he didn't play in Bay Hill because he said he was 90% and he wasn't 100%. Steve DiMeglio tweeted out last night. He said he was texting him, said, almost ready, getting ready for something big. Wonder what that big thing I is? I don't know. Who yeah. knows? Yeah. We can, all, we can speculate. We know what we're going to speculate about, but long drive. who knows? Long drive tour. Long drive. That's, I mean, all the speculation <laughs> around Bryce has been about the long drive tour, right? I, dude. More or less? Yeah, the long drive Saudi tour. But, but, <laughs> but, but, but for real, if he was healthy, why wouldn't he play in this tournament? It's a $20 million purse. I, it would make no sense to not play if you're healthy. And, and maybe he's just, maybe he really is close and he's just 
I mean, maybe maybe the big thing that he's getting ready for is to win a green jacket. Maybe he's going to show up at Augusta with two drivers in the bag. Maybe that's the big thing he's talking about. Because Bryson's also one of those guys, I feel like saying something like that, he kind of likes to be cryptic yeah. and just make people well, just think like about it and talk about it. on Saudi, it was right. cryptic. Yes, it was cryptic. Because he doesn't, he's not just going to give you the answer. He's going to give you a snippet, and then you get to try to figure out what he's talking about. By the way, did you see the... Uh, like Facebook video version of essentially MTV Cribs that he released. No, yes, about I did. His place? Yeah. Well, did? well, I didn't see it. I saw it came out. And did he ever what? move into a new place? Uh, it was the one in Dallas. It's in yeah, Dallas. he was building it on his YouTube channel. Don't ask me why I watched his YouTube videos. Sam, like, why'd you watch his YouTube actually, videos? He actually has some good stuff on, like when he practices. Oh yeah, it's it just, great it just, stuff. You get to see him hit balls into a net with his shirt off. Yeah, that's Damn. that's I don't consider that practice. <laughs> But no, he uh, he had like some stuff in the fridge, like some sparkling cider or something. He was slacklining in the backyard. He had a slackline set up. He was up on the slackline. What does that mean? So a slackline is like uh, it's a wire tied to things at two ends, and you get up on it, and you walk across it. It's called slacklining. Imagine just driving down the street, seeing Bryson DeChambeau walking a tightrope in his, his backyard. Size. At his size, slacklining is kind of impressive. That's probably how he hurt himself. And then he had a couple like gaming computers set up. He walks in. He's like, "Yeah, a lot of dubs are had right here." He's just, he's just a guy. He's just, just a guy getting some dubs him. and trying know, to get everybody off his back. You know who else played good uh, this week? I do. Was uh, Ryan Bram. Ryan Bram, but no. Before that, don't bury the lead. <laughs> Your pick, Ricky Barnes. Oh. So, so, for anyone who didn't listen to the last show, we gave Kobe Ricky Barnes, and he actually did a lot better than Kobe's actual pick that we didn't know about. So here was my research for the Puerto Rico Open. Y'all ready for my research for the Puerto Rico Open? Because driving out to Red River, I actually listened to a podcast where some national guys were talking about Arnold Palmer stuff because I knew I wasn't going to have time to do my research. I was going to be skiing. So I'm like, I'll listen to a podcast on the way out there, and I'll throw somebody out. So I had Sung Jay at the API, but I didn't do any research for the Arnold Palmer. Here was my research. It was Wednesday. I forgot that the Puerto Rico existed until I saw a tweet from somebody that said, I can't believe the price we're getting Kevin Chappell at this week in Puerto Rico. Two-time tour winner, and it like gave Kevin Chappell's resume, and I was like, oh, God, I forgot all about the Puerto Rico. At that very moment, I logged in, I clicked Kevin Chappell's name. And what did Kevin Chappell do? <laughs> shot even par for two rounds. How much money did he make? Uh, zero dollars, zero cents. Actually, it cost him money, but he got to go on a nice vacation to Puerto Rico. And what did Ricky, where did Ricky Barnes end up finishing? Uh, that's a good question. 22nd. 20 set, T22 for Ricky Barnes. So That's pretty been, damn good okay. for Because we've read off his recent finishes, it had been like 14 missed cuts in a 60th. Uh, best, best week he ever had was the week Mark Rogers picked him at the U.S. Open. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, that, he, that week he wasn't in the field. He wasn't in the field. All right, do we want to start with our boy Max McGreevy or the guy we're going to interview tomorrow, Chris Goddard? Uh, I mean, well, I, let's start with the amateur. Let's do it. I mean, he was threatening. It's been 30 years now, 31 years, I think, since Phil won as the last amateur to win on the PGA Tour. Uh, the previous was Scott Verplank, who we've had on, on 1980 or 83, I think, at the Western Open. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's incredibly rare for amateurs to put up this good of performances. First time in five years that an amateur has finished top 10 on the PGA Tour. And it was Chris Goddard up 68, 68, 70, 71. Uh, finishes nine back of Ryan Brim, who won the tournament, but only three back of Max McGreevy, who was solo second. I mean, that's a big-time statement from Chris Goddard up that's like, hey, I'm a college golfer, I'm one of the best in the country, and I'm going to be out here doing this for a living. It really is. Uh, I was talking to you guys during the break. 
So it definitely helps them in PGA Tour U, right? It does now, yes. Whenever PGA Tour U first came out, for Lord knows whatever reason, I don't know, it's literally the dumbest thing I've ever seen. Like, hey, PGA Tour U, but when you play in a PGA Tour event, it doesn't count towards it. That's like saying you take a university class and it doesn't count towards your transcript. It's just ignorant. So, well, and didn't because didn't Austin Ekro finish like twelfth at Mayakoba yes. when he was still in Oklahoma State? Yes, he did. And I don't think he got PGA Tour U points for that because I don't think they had changed it yet. Quaid made the uh, cut too, and that didn't uh, yes. didn't help him either. Mm-hmm. So yeah, finally for whatever reason, it took us a year to get that finals. But yes, it should help him. I believe what were you guys saying? The new rankings will come out on Wednesday, so Wednesday, we won't, yep. we won't know him tomorrow when we're in. But I guarantee you. He better be a lot higher than 16 when they come out. Let's just put it that way. Well, especially, I mean, he's already won a tournament this year, and he's climbing. He had a ways to go because he didn't start at some of the plays. I mean, he didn't start where Logan McAllister started. He didn't start where Eugenio Chakara started. So he had to kind of work his way up. But that's a big-time week for him down in Puerto Rico. And Max McGreevy, solo second, his highest finish on the PGA Tour. Uh, I mean, it, it kind of looked like on Saturday that he would have a chance to win the golf tournament. Ryan Bram just, then just took over uh, and dominated down the stretch. But another sooner, Max McGreevy, who's new on the PGA Tour. But, I mean, that's a big-time finish for him. And for a guy like Max, who's in his first year on the PGA Tour, getting that finish at that event and getting that paycheck for that stability and, you you know, you finish that high, it gets you into some more events, that's big time for Max. It is big time. I feel like Max McGreevy felt more comfortable at this tournament a little bit. It kind of probably felt more like a Corn Ferry event to him. I mean, T-Dub and I talked about the strength of field was similar to a good Corn Ferry event this week. And so the fact that Max McGreevy can go out there and, you know, dominate. I say dominate. I mean, he finished solo second to Ryan Brim, who went bananas, right? But to to play really, really well and kind of prove that, you know, he's the top echelon of the guys that are the, you know, second tier of the PGA Tour, that's really solid for his first year. And it's only going to – if you keep doing that, you're going to continue to grow on that stuff. Well, and you look at it, too. You know, obviously being opposite field, it's not as impactful as, say, throwing a Palmer or a regular event. But look at it in perspective. He finished solo second. He played his, uh, his last four holes at two under. Let's just say he plays those at even. So instead of finishing solo second, he would have finished, like, tied fourth or whatever. That's a big difference when it, yep. whenever you're just now getting out there and trying to get your feet wet. What and was and, the and purse FedEx like? Cup points, too, not just purse, FedEx Cup. Uh, I know Ryan Bram. I know first place was, like, 666. Uh, so second nice. place, I would imagine, would be 400-ish, somewhere in that neighborhood probably. So it's the purse has gone up in Puerto Rico over the years. Yeah, so McGreevy moved up from 149th in the FedEx points to 71st. I, that is huge. 40, Mega or I'm huge. sorry, 78 spots. Mega huge. That's I don't know, does that get him in the players? I know it got Brim in the players. I don't know if it gets McGreevy in the players. We'll have to look at the field. We'll let you know tomorrow once, once we have the field finalized uh, for the players, whether he's in there. But let's talk a little Ryan Brim, fellas, because this really, I think, was one of the feel-good stories on the PGA Tour so far this year. Ryan Brim was in this event because last year he was supposed to play the Zurich Classic with Joel Damon. He contracted COVID-19. He was unable to play. So Ryan Brim now ha- had essentially lost his card, but he had one start on a medical exemption. One. If he did not finish solo second or better this week in Puerto Rico, he was back to the Corn Ferry Tour. Back to the Corn Ferry Tour. Playing for his card, playing for his job, playing for his life on the PGA Tour. And he goes out and puts together 66, 67, 68, 67. With all that on the line, he wins by six shots. Ryan Brim lost his mother last year, was on the verge of losing his tour card. He had his wife 
on the bag, and he wins $666,000. He retains his tour card now through the, it'll be the 24-25 season, I think. About two and a half years now, because he'll have it the rest of this year, and then two more full seasons. He earned a spot in the players. He earned a spot at the Tournament of Champions in Hawaii uh, at at, uh, at Kapalua next January. You don't get a spot in the Masters for opposite field events, but guys, you get one start on a medical for your card, and you win by six? <laughs> that is Epic clutch. from Ryan Brim. Well, to your point here, how many bogeys do you think he made all week? All week? All week. I mean, I don't know, but his worst score was 68. So the fact that you're even asking makes me think four, one around maybe? One bogey. It was in the Shoot. third round on the oh. 14th hole. And guess what? The 14th hole was the hardest hole of the week. Wow. He bogeyed the hardest hole of the week one time. It was the only bogey he made when it was literally his last start. That is the ultimate baller status thing I've ever seen. Wow. And apparently, so I was reading about Ryan Brim uh, yesterday. Brentley Romine wrote a great story on Golf Channel about him. He is a heck of an athlete. He's like 6'4", 220, played baseball as well growing up, throw a 91-mile-an-hour fastball. I mean, this dude's a 91-mile-an-hour fastball. That's about how fast Matt Jones threw his putter into the lake at API. <laughs> so we got uh, some, some commonalities there, but big-time stuff from Ryan Brown. That is huge. I did not know that story yeah. until you told us. That, that's unbelievable. The, unbelievable clutch gene right there. Th- these are some of the untold stories that fall through the cracks sometimes about guys who are, you know, they're not big names. They're not winning the biggest tournaments in the world. They're not top five players in the world, but doing something really special. Speaking of special, I want to get back to Chris Goddard up real quick. Absolutely. Uh, Mabes, our guy Matt Mabry tweeted out yesterday something really interesting that I want to bring up to y'all. He said, little Mabes rant here. Wouldn't it be cool if the PGA Tour could hold the money that an amateur would make if they made the cut in the tournament? They could give it to him the day he turns pro. The kid is probably going to be fine talking about Goddard up, but if he were to struggle his first year as a pro, dot, dot, dot. I got a better idea. Pay him right now! That's a better idea, number one. Mabes' idea is a good fallback right. because you, you talk about, you expect Chris Goddard up will go have a good start to his professional career, right? Right. You never know. Taylor Gooch was a great player at Oklahoma State. Taylor Gooch has said on our podcast that he was within a, a couple of starts, maybe one Q school round of having to go get a job at Best Buy. He was already lining up a plan B. Not to, Best to, Buy, but... Well, no, he said yeah. the Best Buy was what popped into right, his head. Right. Like, that's yeah. not necessarily where he would have gone. He's like, I don't know. I just drove by a Best Buy one day, and I'm thinking, well, if I don't get my card, I guess I'll go get a job at Best Buy. It's The margins are so thin whenever you're getting started in professional golf. It's why PGA Tour U is such a good thing, and it's why it's so ridiculous. And it's not a tour issue. It's an NCAA issue. Right, but I right. think now USGA as well. It's is the it? USGA okay. issue because okay. right now these guys can get paid from NIL deals, but and it's an NCAA issue as well, right? These guys can get paid, you know, it, it, is it an NCAA issue or is it a USGA issue that these guys don't get paid? Because I, think I feel like the NCAA would allow it now because of the NIL. I don't know, though, because you're, you're still performing in your field. The thing that's just always been so stupid so to me. So confusing to me. The thing that's always been so, so stupid to me is that if an art major puts together this awesome piece and takes it to an art show and sells it for $100,000, that $100,000 doesn't just go in the pool to charity. That goes to the artist. Right. Chris Goddard is the artist. Chris Goddard went out and shot 11 under over four rounds in Puerto Rico. And my deal is they're not going to get the NIL deals that a football or basketball player would make. Right. Right. Why not allow them to get the money that they make if they do 
qualify for a PGA Tour event. It makes no sense. This is a question you have to ask yourself. What is the reason to not pay him? And I can't think of a logical one. Why? Because that's how it was 100 years ago? Shamateurism. Yeah. Shamateurism. Shamateur. I've never heard that. That's a good good saying right there. I mean, that's the only reason that you could come up with, right? Well, I mean, the NCAA is the most corrupt group of people (laughs) there is. And, I mean, I feel like... That they're very caring and understanding when you have cancer, though, right? <laughs> right. They make you fill out all this paperwork just to prove that you had it. You know, and so the NCAA is always at fault, but I feel like this <laughs> might fall a little bit on the USGA as well, saying, you know, because if the USGA pushed for this, it could be for both. amateur golf, but the, the whole deal is, you know, the NCAA's deal is student athlete, and the USGA's deal is keep amateurism pure. Okay, well, too bad neither of those things exist anymore. Yeah, I don't know. I just, I I think that there's this big concern amongst people who've been doing this for 60 years that if you pay an amateur at a golf tournament, then all of a sudden it's just going to fundamentally change the game or or it's going to kill amateur golf. I don't know, man. Like, Chris Goderup was going to play in Puerto Rico this week. He was still going to go back to OU and finish out the season. It's not like if he would have gotten the check this week, he was going to bail on his team and not finish out the season. I don't know, man. I it's always made me uncomfortable. Um, yeah, the the whole. But I think it's a good point by Mabes, like a, an attainable too. point. I do right? too. That's it, that's the worst thing that should happen. Correct. Yeah. That's that's like the compromise from people on our side. It's like okay, if you don't want to give it to them now because you're worried that I don't know, maybe a freshman plays in an event and they cash eight hundred thousand dollars and now they want to leave and go play pro because they've got this big safety net. If if that's your argument and you don't want guys to get paid right now, Mabes' solution is an okay compromise. Right. So that they at least still get what they earned. And how much was it this week that he would have made? Because Goderup won't get what he earned. So it would it would have been around whatever, you know, because obviously with him not getting it, doesn't it, the, the other money goes to the other players, right? Right. Uh, let's see. Puerto Rico. He finished seventh. I can scroll down here and find it. Uh, all right. So he finished seventh. Uh, was he was he T seven? It made about hundred k because he, was, he tied Mateus Swab, who was my pick. Okay, so he would have been about one hundred fifteen thousand. Would have been about one hundred fifteen thousand dollars. So you just it, it takes take... some. It's like, it takes some people three years or more to make that much money. That's a and lot you're just of not going to not give it to him. You're just going to not give him a hundred grand that he earned because he wants to play college golf. How stupid is that? Yeah, it is. It absolutely is. I. Uh, we, we've talked about it for a long time, and we're never going to find the answers to it. Maybe one day it will change. Uh, gentlemen, before we get out of here, we're going to talk to you a little bit about what we're doing tomorrow, but we've got to talk just briefly about what Jin Young Ko is doing because it's honestly getting a little silly. Let me read off her last 10 starts for you on the LPGA Tour. Win, win, sixth, win, win, second, sixth, win, 60th. Don't know what happened that week. <laughs> win. It is un. Believable what Jin Young Ko is putting together. She won, so the season debut, her debut was in Singapore. Six wins in her last 10 starts. She has now set the LPGA Tour's all time record for most consecutive rounds in the 60s, 15 consecutive rounds in the 60s, and most consecutive subpar rounds. She has shot 30 consecutive subpar rounds on the LPGA Tour in tour conditions when everybody else, uh, you know, nobody else is doing this. 30 consecutive subpar rounds. It's wild what she's doing right now. And, I mean, it was in Singapore. It was in the middle of the night, so it very much went under the radar, but she deserves her due. Uh, how old is she, Colby? Oh, uh, that's a great question. We can find it pretty fast. 
Because, you know, we see this a lot. 26. 20, you know, we see this a lot old. on the women's side. You know, like, for example, Lorena Choa, um, Yanni Singh, some of these other players. You come yeah. out and get out on Lydia Ko, even, who's kind of coming back. You know, yeah. you get out and you get on this mega unreal heater. Then all of a sudden you lose it for a little bit. Then who knows if you're able to get it back or not. So hopefully we're able to keep – I don't think there's any way that you can keep this ultimate of a heater going, though. I mean, what, you played 10 events and one of them was outside of sixth place? And I don't know if you said this to that, Chloe. Was it been like 12 or 13 bogey-free rounds in that stretch? A bunch. I mean, it's just – and that to me, that's the old – it doesn't matter where you're playing at. If you don't make bogeys, you're going to do pretty damn well. And I think that that is the that to me is the ultimate test of, of playing good golf. Because if you make if you make eight birdies and eight bogeys, I don't think you really played that well. But if you play and obviously eighteen pars, you could have done more. But if you constantly just shoot, even just three or four under, just yeah. making three or four birdies, no bogeys, that's some good golf. Because that generally, if you don't make a lot, if you're not making bogeys, you're not just scrambling it around and making 10-footers for par all day. Because well, eventually you're going to miss one. Tiger once said, you know, I'm a great lag putter, and that's underrated because most holes I just hit it to 20, 30 feet to the wide side of the pin, and I make a couple of those. I kill the par fives, and I don't make bogeys. I mean, that's that's what you do. You don't make bogeys. You kill the par fives. Looking at the women's uh, world golf rankings, there's a pretty big gap from one to two, which is Jin Young Ko to Nelly Korda, and then there's a bigger gap from two to three, from Nelly Korda to Lydia Ko. So Jin Young Ko and Nelly Korda, pretty... Uh, pretty firmly planted at one and two in the world on the women's side, playing great golf. I I really hope that we can get those two coming down the stretch at a major. Those two in a playoff at a major would be electric. Unbelievable. Yeah. It, the most unbelievable stat to me is her final round scoring average is 66.9 God. and all 11 final rounds in the 60s. God. 66.9. Talk about finishing strong. Clutch 66.9. I, I can't even fathom a sub-67 final round scoring average. That's ridiculous. I can't fathom shooting 66 one time. Hey, let me throw a real question <laughs> at you In the final round. Somebody threw this out at Twitter. What number would have to be set for you to say that I go out and I play 30 rounds? Conditions can vary. So you can get a windy day, you can get a calm day. 30 rounds, you have to shoot under that number Every single time, 30 consecutive rounds. What are you putting the number at? 96? 150? What do you mean? Like, no, I mean like... Essentially, if you played 30 rounds, what would be the highest score you shoot? If I played 30 rounds... I mean, on what course? Because for me, like, let's, say, let's say I go out to the greens where I play... I mean, if I go I play, play Bay Hill, I'm going to shoot 80s. If, if, I play, if I play 30 rounds at the greens... Even in bad condition weather, I think the worst I shoot in 30 rounds, even if the weather gets bad, is like... 88. So I think if I put the number at 88, I think I could play 30 consecutive rounds at the greens and shoot under 88 on all of it. And by the way, my handicap right now is 2.2, if that's any reference. It's a good question. You know, I, I probably set it somewhere around 78, right? Because eventually you're going to play bad. Eventually you're going to play bad, like, yeah. It, but you're that's talking about the course, a course like the greens, right? right. And so, like, you would set it in the 70s. That's why I just said my home yeah, course. You know, but. So, but anyways, so real quick... I wanted to bring up the fact that a lot of people always talk about, you know, these girls are just like us. That's why I like watching the LPGA. No, they're not. They are not like you whatsoever. You can play the front fringe purple tees and not shoot 66.9 for 11 straight rounds. 
66 is not the best score. That's the average That's for average. her final round That's scoring, final scoring average. average. Do people know how averages work? You add up every number. <laughs> it means there's a 62 in there. There's a 63 probably. And the highest, yeah. this, the highest number isn't going to be above about 69. Right. That means most of the time, she's probably shooting 66 or 67 in the final round. Occasionally, she'll throw in a 63. Occasionally, she'll throw in a 70. It's just it's remarkable what she's doing. It's so. like Bryson's driving distance. He's like 320 off the tee. That doesn't mean his best drive is 320. So yeah. it's like 66 average. That's not your best score. And just she's on one of the biggest heaters that I've seen at any level. And we, you talk about major, Colby. Um, we're going to get the first LPGA major before the Masters. So it's going to be at the end of uh, end of March, the 1st of April. So I think we're going to look for that. The uh, It's called the Chevron Championship now. I think it used to be called the Kraft Nabisco at Mission Hills in California. So that will be a good tournament to watch. Absolutely. Ye- yesterday, Brandel tweeted out, said, statistically speaking, Jin Young Ko, who hit 63 greens in a row – to end the 2021 season and 17 greens en route to victory yesterday <laughs> is the best ball striker since Annika Sornstam, uh, who was at her height in 2001, won 19 times in that stretch. God, that's Annika, wild. Annika was ridiculous, People by the way. how good Annika was. That she this, played a PJ event. That this yeah. isn't better than Annika's height. I wouldn't think so. No, but no, no, no. But it's statistically close. speaking, statistically, it's not. Statistically, if she can keep it going and throw a couple majors in there, I think the Chevron, Chevron, I think is the same weekend as the A and W A. I think it's that first weekend in April. Yes. Yeah, so yeah, the first round is March thirty first. The uh, last round will be April third. Okay. Yep. So I'll be in. I'll be in the hospital watching it. Wait. Ju- so that goes. Well, no, that's Thursday to Sunday. That's Thursday. To Sunday. That's just ball striking wise. Greens and regulations. Correct, okay. correct, yes. What I was talking about, about Annika. Yes. You know, and wins-wise, you know. And so, just to kind of sum that up, greens and regulation, Annika in 2001 hit 79.7% of her greens. <laughs> 79.7? That's four out of five, boys. Average. That's four out of five. How ridiculous is that? Every 20 holes she was playing, she was hitting 16 greens. Well, a lot of people look at that and you say that, that you're... I just double-checked that three times to yeah. make sure that was right. 79.7% of her greens. That's ridiculous. And obviously, your iron play has to be stellar, but you're not going to be hitting every green you play if you're not in the middle of the fairway all the yeah. time. So it just goes to show how, much, how great your driving has to be to be able to do that as well. Absolutely. Uh, let's see. Um... Okay, somebody was posting here about Chris Goddard up. I thought maybe they had a PGA Tour U scoop. But no PGA Tour U scoop. We'll figure that out on Wednesday. But, Sam, tomorrow we're going to be down at the Charlie Coast Center. Who all, who all are we getting to talk to tomorrow while we're down there? I know for sure that we're going to get Logan McAllister, Chris Goddard up, and Patrick Welch, Vinny the Cross-Handed Bandit. So I'm Coming super off excited win. about that. We're going to be at the Coast Center. I'm sure we'll have guys hop in and hop out uh, of – our interview room. Yeah, going to be a blast. Going to be an absolute blast, so make sure you uh, keep an eye out for that one tomorrow. We're either going to mix the players in preview in with that one, or we might just hop on and do something quick Wednesday morning, but we'll get a player's preview out as well. Make sure we have our DraftKings lineups, our one-and-done picks. It's a big week in the one-and-done. Tyler, as you know, last year, you uh, you were struggling in the one-and-done. Boom, you hit JT. That was... Was like like three three million winners? Two point seven, but it's going to be a lot more this year. And like three point six this year? I think so. Yeah, because the purse went from fifteen mil to twenty mil. <laughs> Sam. Taylor, this is our week. This is our week to skyrocket up the leaderboard. By the way, have y'all seen the forecast at all? If y'all have two missed cuts, if you have two missed cuts this week, you're going to lose a lot of ground. So right now, the uh, the forecast this week at the players, 80% chance of rain Thursday and Friday. Saturday, it's going to be warm early. Cold front is coming in midday. It's going to turn to 55 degrees with 20-plus mile-an-hour north winds for Saturday and Sunday. So you're saying just pick a bad weather player. I'm going to pick Ricky Fowler. Oh, wait. Damn. 
Seventh alternate. He's, he's on the list. He's on the alternate list. <laughs> he might get in. He if we have seven in. people withdraw. Hey, hey, he might have moved up since he Bryson played withdrew. great this week. Uh, he probably did move up because Bryson went through. He, Sixth he, alternate. He played great this week. What was he, T-52? Yeah, finished yeah. 52nd, made the cut. Hell of a week by Ricky Fowler. Hell of a week. One yeah. of the greatest players champions of all time. What would it take for six <laughs> players to withdraw from a purse of $20 million? Oh, man. Some bad things. I mean, a lot of guys would have to be at 90%. <laughs> 90%, we're not going to go play for $3.5 million. <laughs> Something else is going on. We'll figure all that out tomorrow from the Charlie Coast Center. Be with us, 73rd Hole, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma.